Index investing or passive investing has grown more popular with investors. Even Warren Buffett has the benefits of owning an entire index like the S&P 500 over the long term. An example of an index tracking ETF is BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF. It's the largest ETF in Canada that tracks this well-recognized and popular index. It provides exposure to the returns of the market cap weighted S&P 500 Index at a low cost the management fee of just 0.08%. This broad market ETF makes for an efficient building block in a portfolio, saving you time and effort while mitigating single stock risk. If you're looking for exposure to the largest and most liquid public companies in the United States, this ETF delivers an easy-to-use solution and instant diversification. Commissions and management fees and expenses all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 109. As always, joined by the three amigos, Keith Dicker, Ice Cap Asset Management, Rich Diaz, PMG. PMG, PM- baby. PMG Global. Get it, get PMG it right. Global. Best research around. What is, this third, are, what is the first G for? It's the Pavilion PMG, Global, global Market. Yeah, it is global, global. Actually, the real, the truth is, I used to be, used to be called Pavilion, and we used to have a, a consulting business, and we'd uh, help with um, identify managers and all that kind of stuff. And then they split off, but in order to keep the branding and uh, you know a lot of the sort of the goodwill that's in the business, we sort of we kept the, the name. But it's the so same it's thing. Like really, we, it's really global. Then it seems like. Yes, very much so. Well, we do have a global trading desk, and we are twenty four hours a day, which is actually quite rare for this part of the world, especially in Canada. So that's pretty good. 24 hours a day. I'll call you late yeah, night. You should do. We'll have somebody on the desk for you. Is it you? Um, no, it's definitely not me. <laughs> no, 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 it's Frank? definitely not me. But we do have somebody in, uh, it might be Frank, but we have somebody in Asia. Yeah, Asia desk, Europe, European desk. And we have all these, yeah, we we get a lot of flows from them, actually. We do a really good do job. They, it's do actually, they let you press, press, do they let you press any buttons? Like no, live buttons? I, I'm not allowed to touch any buttons. That would be terrible. Hammer the cell that'd button. A, that'd be a terrible idea. Well, oh, at least dear. we know what's going on in Rich's world. Keith? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had fun today. Um, I might get the wording a bit wrong, but I was uh, invited to be, if they call it a witness, was basically to provide some views in Parliament for one of the finance committees that's been established to you know, do some more research and better understand, appreciate what is causing stress on the Canadian housing market for crises as, as well as rentals. So I, I did that this afternoon. It's, it's an amazing experience. So you get to see how parliament works and um, you know, it's a lot of fun. You learn a few things from it. And because we are a money manager, um, I definitely picked up uh, a few very important points that we'll keep in my pocket <laughs> and uh, we're going to make a lot of money on it. I'm pretty excited about the uh, the meeting that I participated in. Are you? Today. Did you just des- design? Another, did you design? Did you design another app? <laughs> Is that how you're going to make lots of money? How much money did you make? <laughs> I saw that guy this this week. You know, that wasn't me at all. He 
He had a pretty good deal, though. I think he did. I, I think he's going to be uh, skewered when he's for those uh, for those that are not uh, quite in tune with what's going on there. There's a big investigation going on with the uh, the arrive can- arrive scam app. Um, for what do they got? What did it was like? The app cost like fifty something million dollars. Fifty four million. Fifty four million. And this dude was paid. This dude is. <laughs> It's just him and one other employee. So there's two people. They didn't do any of the work. They apparently hired out all the work and he was paid like 11 mil. And he like couldn't explain like what he did exactly or how he got the job and the money. Anyways, it's it's quite the scandal that uh, the RCS, RCMP has done this probe into it and said something's fishy here. Uh, so the $50 million arrive can app... Um, yeah, we we were early on that. We were really we, early on that one. <laughs> We've been early to a couple of things. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the gift that keeps on giving, though. It I is. For us, it just keeps going. Because that with, you know, Rich and the ESG stuff, and that seems to be uh, happening as, as well as we speak. Yeah, we're pulling on a few threads here. And then there are about 18 other things we were we weren't quite close on at all <laughs> but those two we're we're gonna rock those uh two okay that's okay you can't so rich rich told us earlier guys that he has to he has to make sure this podcast today is a little bit uh it runs on time we're a bit that's faster right. than why is that rich what do you got coming up well, i i got a date i got a date and a deadline <laughs> so i gotta i gotta smash out my note which i'm actually quite proud of i'm working on uh the trucking sector which i think is actually really interesting um i think we should touch on that later in the show too yeah, can do. And then if I uh, if I make it on time, then I'm going to jump off to a, a date. I got ghosted. So I figured out what happened to me. Uh, this is what the kids call it. Ghosting when someone just like doesn't answer your messages and doesn't return your text or whatever. Uh, I'll I won't bring up the diffusion index on the next date. This is what I've learned from this experience. <laughs> this I get ghosted that... all the time. <laughs> and so Boomer doesn't care. Boomer. Doesn't, I think it's funny. Yeah, I I'm th- I'm, I have thinner skin than you, Keith. <laughs> well mine's a bit weather okay steve what else you got lined up for us here today this is a big oh day. yeah i mean i guess before i should really dive into it of course the toronto live event uh again subtle reminder here november 30th uh tickets in the description in the show notes here below so we'd love to uh again meet more of our audience in toronto it's it's a good time drinks food live podcast q a uh we're gonna have a couple special guests as well uh we have more on that to be announced in the next week or so. Uh, but yeah, anyways, come out. should be a good time. Uh, it always has been. So, But Keith, I wanted to touch on this week, first and foremost, because obviously you're in, in Parliament or House of Commons, whatever you want to call it, um, the BOC deliberations. Uh, so they released, the Bank of Canada just started doing this, right? Where they released sort of their deliberations about why they, they did what they did in their most recent interest rate policy meeting. Uh, and so one of those was uh, the Bank of Canada basically noting uh, some issues there on the federal deficit. So it says here, uh, governing council members discuss the aggregate spending plans of federal and provincial governments, which are projected to increase at an annual pace of roughly 2.5% in 2024. If all of those plans are realized, this would contribute materially to growth over the next year. By adding to demand at a faster pace than the growth of supply, government spending could get in the way of returning inflation to target. So there you have Bit it. A mouthful, that's, isn't it? That's from the BOC directly from uh, right from there. from your boy Tiff. So if you want your mortgage rates to come down, so you can 
keep paying, you know, to for your mortgage and stay in your house, obviously you need government to to pair back on their spending, which there doesn't seem to be any plan yet. Yeah, no, it's surreal. One thing interesting, Bank of Canada, they they started to get a bit, um, you know, they they started to push back on some common themes that have been pushed against them over the last 12 months. And because I find maybe two or three years ago, it was very political. And uh, they were sort of, you know, they were getting pushed around. But now, uh, credit to them, they're standing up on their own. How many feet are over there, Rich? How many PhDs and everything? How many do they have? Way too many. The Fed has like 400. Oh, the Fed's a huge, huge machine. The Fed yeah, does so what, is, what does Canada have? If I had to guess, like Canada's no probably idea. got I'll look it up. 30 or 40 PhDs. Oh, come on. More than that. I hope. Well, I'm anyway. just saying if they've got 400, I do one tenth the population. So yeah. maybe we should have 40 That's a good PhDs. way to guessing. You should, you should be, you should be a private equity guy. That's a great way to guess. <laughs> it's not too late. You are more importantly, let's uh, while Rich is you know, like diving into that, uh, deep thought for, for Steve, um, so, I mean, the main thing to unpack it, first of all, I, I think it's it's great that the Bank of Canada is is doing this now, releasing their deliberations. Because with the central bank, it's all about trying to be as transparent as possible. It, it shouldn't be a, a black box. And I think that's what they've had for a while. And uh, so they're doing that. It's, it's great. But the Bank of Canada, together with all the other central banks, even the, the Americans with, uh, with Jay Powell this afternoon, you know, they're coming out and they're still threatening that, hey, we will raise rates if, if we need to again. Like, we're not going to hesitate to do that. You know, they're holding up the stick, but I'm not convinced that they're going to get to uh, to do it. Okay, Keith. Put Ever your tin- again. Never. They'll never raise rates again. <laughs> put your uh, put your tinfoil hat on here for a Not sec. during Rich's Uh-oh. single life. How's that? Uh-oh. Yeah. Entertain okay. this. How what what's your honest opinion on Rich? I'm kind of curious your thoughts here too. How much of these minutes, you know, whether it be for the Fed minutes or now we've got the Bank of Canada minutes, how much of this is doctored to put out a message that they want the general public? Oh, I'll go first. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Right. <laughs> so I know I like everybody. I always find it interesting though, because everybody like reads the minutes of like, <gasps> like what word did they take out of this meeting and replace it with a different word? And it's just like everybody just like scours over these things, knowing that like it's really just like a it's a doctored script to begin with. But it, it doctored and it's not doctored, right? So if you were the Bank of Canada, and let's say there was two people, I was the, sorry, I was the Bank of Canada governor. And of course, I would never say anything like inflation was transitory or tell people to borrow lots of money. I would never do that. But and you were like deputy governor and Keith. What was would the, you tell them though, Rich? Like what would, would be your keep would you say? my mouth shut? Is I just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Anyways, so if you guys were my, both my deputies and you were both like having a huge fight about inflation or where we should go out for dinner or whatever, you don't want that in the minutes. And and so that's where I'm. You know, we can be critical in one sense and say that you know it's doctored and it's a messaging format form to tell us what they're thinking and is it really transparent if they massage it. But also, you want them. You want them to have a free and easy debate on what monetary policy should be. And in order to do that, you do have to keep some an- anonymity. I think though, that's why they call it the deliberations. Correct. I don't think minutes are in the title of that right. document. Yeah, deliberations. So behind yeah. the behind the scenes, they're basically like, "Hey, we can all agree the economy's screwed and we can't raise rates, right?" Exactly. But uh, oh yeah, make sure don't put that in though. Make sure you uh, make sure you tell them that we're still hawkish. 
talk and say, hey, strike that from the record. <laughs> and they go, oh, yeah. But I, I, you know, I think you're you're right, guys. And that minutes no longer mean what minutes used to mean. Like years ago, everything was verbatim. Like whoever said what. Like for like for example, the minutes from the loony hour. Like holy smokes, that would be uh, would be canceled right away. Our WhatsApp chat group, we're in trouble. <laughs> uh, I mean, like the shitter's full. That's that's for sure. But uh, yeah, but it's it's just another tool that the central banks have. You know, they need to communicate because you know they have their policy decision and then their announcement with it, and then the presser, and then this this is yet another way to sort of reinforce the message they want to send. And then, of course, you know, guys like us, you know, we'll dive into it and go, well, they said this or they didn't say that. But right now, um, you know, we always talk about the, you know, the journey we're on. Not Rich, not Aerosmith, journey. (laughs) I love that one. But, um, you know, this Canadian economy continues to, to trend lower and lower. And I think we had the Canadian Tire uh, earnings came out this morning. What happened with those, Steve? I know you're a big Canadian Tire guy. I love Canadian Tire. No, so I, do I. <laughs> no, they're terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm No, not. I love them. You guys are such haters. We should have like <laughs> a like, loony hour poll here. Who actually shops at Canadian Tire? You got to be like 55 <laughs> Steve, plus. Steve, aren't they advertising with us this week? Like you're worse than Rich now when you, you did <laughs> no, the mail No, no, they're one. not. They definitely won't be anytime soon now. Um, so th- they said basically on Thursday, they're going to lay off uh, 3% of its full-time employees in an effort to lower Ouch. costs. Um, remember, this is a guy that flagged really soft retail spending uh, on the consumer side like six months ago. So the CEO has been pretty vocal about like the condition of the consumer. And so basically he again came out and flagged uh, interest rates and said like, yeah, like I think retail sales were down, what, two or three uh, percent. Same store sales. So yeah, and then he basically time, just yeah. flagged. He basically just flagged um, interest rates and said, like, like they're starting to bite. We see it as Canadian Tire. Of course, Canadian Tire also owns Sport Check for those that uh, aren't quite aware. So, like, I mean, they've got a pretty good stronghold on. The Canadian consumer. And they have and... Mark's Work Warehouse as well. Do they? Yeah. Now what they call it, just Mark's. They, they got Who shops of the... there? You shop there? <laughs> I love Mark's Work Warehouse. You get warehouse. your boots there? <laughs> well, they have nice jeans, too. They have the uh, the GWG. Is that what they're called? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. People my age, they're, going to, they're laughing at this one, yeah. So like, it was an old brand of jeans from years ago. And, and Wayne Gretzky, he was one of the first big names they they uh, hired with you to do a, a commercial for it. So uh, GWG jeans, I think you can still get them at Mark's Work Warehouse, which is owned by Canadian Tire. Continue, Steve. We got a lot of we other get stupid a, uh, anecdotes. Mark's Work today. Warehouse discount code for Looney Hours. Um, yeah, but basically he says there's no question that the most difficult business decisions are the ones that impact young people. Uh, consumers are shifting away from higher ticket discretionary items and also reducing the number of items in their basket with an increase in single unit baskets. I don't even know what the hell that means, but, uh, anyways, people are basically tapped out and they're pulling back on their spending and, and Canadian tire has been flagging that for quite some time. And they've also got, uh, I think what their largest business revenue generator correct me if i'm wrong is actually their credit card business no 
a lot of companies are like that. A lot of car companies, yeah. they're they're large. They actually some of the car. I'm not how I'm not sure how EVs affects this, but for for many many years, Volkswagen's most profitable kind of opco was their finco, their financing operation of their um so uh, of their sort of automobile, I mean um business, but it was actually just the financing of those cars. So I'm not surprised that Canadian Tire. Is making lots of money. I think those are so single item shopping. Would you say? Would you say? I actually yeah, know what single, that is. Single item baskets. Yeah. So single item basket is like when you go shopping and and you've just for one specific thing. So that tool, that screwdriver, that hammer, whatever. And then and if you're feeling tight and you're not going to splurge on the you know the impulse buys of you might buy a a pellet gun or a whatever or a hockey stick, whatever you might buy a Canadian Tire. <laughs> Probably, you know what uh, they say, Rich. If you have a hammer, all you need is a nail. Oh, everything, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> yeah, everything is a nail, right? You you smash that. Yeah, you're going all uh, the way to Canadian Tire for one item. That's uh, yeah, it's a battle. That happens. Oh, it's it happens. a good store. Uh, but with this, though, I mean, I remember the theme that we've been talking about for a while is you know we're it started with the Canadian banks and what they were. Um, recognizing for for bad loans or loan loss provisioning or provision for credit losses. It, they keep changing that title over the years. Um, and remember, we've been tracking that. We're saying, oh, wow, something interesting is happening here. Like we said, hey, that's this is telling telling us that the banks are getting a bit nervous about credit. And, you know, that obviously then that either reinforced the housing market pausing and you know, the stress we're having. And then we're starting to see some of the aggregate data numbers come off a bit lower. So I think, you know, we just had officially, I think, two quarters, Rich, of yep. zero to minus one or something. Well, not like quite that. yet, but we're getting there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so the one I'm really ex- excited about, and can you imagine getting excited over, over <laughs> well, I do, but the, uh, the, the bank's earnings are going to come out in, in a couple of weeks. So that's then when we get further confirmation of what is happening with their loan loss uh, provisioning again. It's also their year end. So we have that. Um, is that going to be? They, they, they've been yeah, yeah, they've been... for it, it is for their fiscal year. So uh, banks right now, like they're sitting there. They've already established their spending budgets for next year. And I bet you know, they're a lot less than they were, you know, last year and stuff like that. But, you know, we continue to get pieces of information, which continues to suggest that we, uh, in this is our view, that uh, we are not going to get a, a no landing or just a soft landing. I, I think this can roll over pretty aggressively. And when it does, it's, um, it's opportunity, right? That's the way yeah. I see it. Yeah. I, well, you smell it, Rich? You smell the money? <laughs> all i smell is fresh paint we're in a new new office <laughs> and by the way i'm being insensitive when i say that i mean that purely from the uh, eyes of, of of an investment manager because it, it it will not be pleasant for uh for families i do know that well speaking of which um we had the bc government um come out with you know i think people that are following along here in canada there's been a lot of discussion of course around housing affordability what do we do you know you've got the liberal government versus the conservatives you know pierre polyev has come with all these like ideas the liberals are now so there's been a lot of topic and conversation around how to fix housing and of course we've really tried to hit the demand side in in recent years and now governments are saying okay well if we're going to import a million people a year maybe we do need to look at the supply side and so there's been all this debate around federal responsibilities, provincial responsibilities, municipal responsibilities. So 
The one thing is, again, love them or hate them, the BC government has come out and taken some drastic, drastic measures over the last two months or so. Um, and again, I'm not saying it's going to solve the housing issues, but I think it's a step in the right direction, which is they just announced, um, this was actually on the on Pierre Polyev's uh, platform, essentially, uh, announcing new legislation to require minimum residential building heights of up to 20 stories. Uh, for sites that are within 200 meters of a SkyTrain station, 12 stories uh, for height for sites that are within 400 meters, and up to eight stories for sites that are within 800 meters, 400, 800 meters. So basically, what it's saying is we want high density around the you know these SkyTrain stations that are ultimately receiving federal funding. Um, and similar policies there are going to impose for sites near bus exchanges and all across Metro Vancouver. So, um, I think that's a huge, huge change. So basically what it's doing is the municipal government is, is basically removing the zoning capabilities from municipal governments. They're saying, well, listen, if you guys aren't going to do it because you're afraid of the political pushback, we're going to mandate it and impose it on you. And so now the municipalities have, you know, once this legislation passes, the municipalities will have however many number of months to sort of rewrite their bylaws um, and, and their zoning sort of regulations and maps to, to adjust for this. So huge. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. That is until we discovered Canva. Illumni Hour uses Canva to create social media images and marketing materials for our live events. Designing custom artwork using Canva is so easy, even the boomer can do it. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format, from social media posts to videos, presentations, and websites. Ever since I've found Canva for Teams, it's been easy to collaborate and design with the team, which makes the whole process so much more creative and fun. We personally love using Canva templates, Canva has templates designed specifically for all social media platforms, which saves us a ton of time and money. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash loonyhour. That's canva.me slash loonyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash Looneyout. My question is, can you explain the pushback that the municipalities and the provinces and the federal government, this dance that we're seeing that um, that the federal government is getting involved and sort of skipping the provinces, get, dealing directly with the municipalities? And then I've read, maybe just, I mean, I read a quick article about how there's sort of the, uh, the provinces are getting upset because... Uh, you know, they're on their turf or what have you. I mean, have you heard of that or am I garbling this? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's all like political. And to be honest, it's got a decent understanding of it. But I mean, someone that's like inside the, the politics of it will be able to explain it better than I can, obviously. But basically the municipal governments are like, well, hey, like our constituents don't want density here. And how are we going to pay for all this upgraded infrastructure? And like, we're already kind of starved for tax revenues and, and you're just imposing this, like how are we actually going to implement this? And so, um, and same thing on the BC government side, obviously, you know, like it's, it's just, it's just a constant battle of like whose responsibility is what, and, and what are the repercussions when you go and do this? And so, you know, part of this is, okay, well now if you're going to maximize, if you're going to impose this density on us. So like earlier in this earlier, like last week, the BC government, at the same time came out and banned single family zoning in 
all of BC. So any community with 5,000 or more people, if you've got a single family lot, um, you're going to be allowed to build, you know, duplex, triplex, fourplex, sixplex, depending on the size of the lot. And again, they're waiting for the exact numbers and legislation to pass through before they get some of those details. And the devil is always in the details, but like all this. Just density wait a second. Of- whoa, 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 whoa. So did, did I just hear you correctly? You said you're in a, a small town, 5,000 plus people. You can't get a permit to build a single family dwelling. Did, no, did you I can't. Hear that right? So you can still build single family, but they're saying like, you can't, not allow duplex, triplex, fourplex, whatever. Does, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, if you have a single family and you're like, well, I can either tear it down and build a new single family, legal, totally good to do. Or you can now do, let's say a triplex. Like before it'd be like in the zoning regulations, it'd be like single family only. So the oh, BC okay. government is saying, no, if you're if you have a single family law and it's a certain size, which they haven't dictated yet, you're going to be mandated to update your bylaws to allow this type of building. So again, the municipality is like, well, how do we fund this? Like we got to pay for all this. So there's this kind of fight about um, community amenity contributions and development cost charges. And it's kind of this developer technical lingo that we don't really need to get into, but it's basically fees that are charged on new housing supply. And um so, that's so is this make- welcomed from the uh, developer side? Is everyone uh, yeah, it is. This? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I know people are like, oh, like, you know, anti-developer. But like the reality is, it's like, again, if you're going to pull a million people in a year or remotely close to it, I would argue even at half a million people a year, which is our not our permanent residence target. Like we have a structural housing imbalance here and and you do need to densify. I mean, the fact I always look at it, the fact like I live in Vancouver here, you know, eight minutes outside of the downtown core, like you can buy a three, $4 million single family house. It's just bizarre. Like go to any major Metro rich, like you lived in London, like, you know, you want a single family. It's nuts. Like if you want a single family house, you're driving like what? 45 minutes, an hour out. Yeah, of course. You're in Surrey. You're like you're you're in a green belt. I mean, in in London. I mean, London's a bad example because it's one of the most expensive or used to be one of the most expensive cities in the world. But like, you know, let's use a, you know, like New York. I mean, those, you know, Essex County, which is in New Jersey, which is just across the way from from um, New York City, uh, which is one of the richest uh, uh, postcodes in the world, probably certainly in America. I mean, the average house price there's three and a half, four million bucks U.S. Do you know what I mean? And this is this is rolling hills. Like this is these are. Do you know what I mean? Um, this is one of the elite elite neighborhoods in all of America. So just this is not just down some crappy bungalow downtown Vancouver. No offense, you know what I mean. It it's just totally. a, it's mind boggling. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, I think it's yeah, Keith, your point. So, anyways, just to kind of summarize, the BC government has gone. So they've essentially more or less in the last month they've basically banned Airbnb, uh, more or less. Um, they've legalized multiplexes on all single families, and now they've mandated uh, high density along. Um, Skytrain stations, all in. So, how long now morning. then will it take to see the impact that these policies? Oh gosh, um, ten plus years. Wow, really? Yeah, <laughs> come on. So it's supposed well, to happen tomorrow. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? This is funny because like everyone's like, at the end of the day, how do we start open this conversation? It was all about like the economy's kind of pooched, interest rates are up, like nothing. Nobody wants who's gonna who nobody wants to build right now. 
like the numbers are just so tight. Construction costs are so expensive. Um, they haven't really come down. You know, they might have leveled out, but they haven't come down. Um, and the housing market stinks. So, like from a risk reward, risk your capital, run the numbers in a spreadsheet. Like people aren't building today with with you know Yikes. construction financing loans at eight, nine, ten percent. And even higher in some cases. Maybe the government should jump in and start building. <laughs> oh, come on. CMHC <laughs> built, uh, I think, was it 12 houses over the last five years or something like that? Is that accurate? Like, yeah, yeah, that sounds they, like... That but sounds are they in the business of building houses? I thought they were just in the business of that subsidizing finance. people to borrow. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, so basically, I think CMHC, to my Is recollection... Is it the M stand for mortgages in the CMHC? Canada Mortgage and Housing Corp. Yeah. So, but un- uh, underwriting wait underwriting developers is not an unreasonable way for no, government. But CMHC to step in. that I actually believe, makes sense though. It's just like I let's, think they actually know. used to build houses. Like they were originally created after the war. Um, for all the people coming back from the war to actually build more housing. So it was okay. built for. So, but do you think I, the government should subsidize? No, what I'm saying. No, 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 no. To no, no, no. I don't, them to build houses. You, you and I disagree on this philosophically, and that's okay. Um, I won't cancel you, but I do think sometimes (laughs) governments should underwrite large infrastructure projects that the private sector is unwilling to do. For example, James Bay, (laughs) that was a good project. The government underwrote all of the highways, Um, you know, there's loads of infrastructure projects where governments, where there's no private sector money, no one is going to take that risk. Um, and governments, in my view, should come and underwrite. I'm not saying they should just give people blank checks as they do with certain programs <laughs> aforementioned on the show. What I'm saying software, is software, <laughs> software programs. What I'm saying is you can you can either you can guarantee loans or you can um, or you can just own, or you can you can create a. I mean, like, for example, James Bay is a perfect example. The Quebec government and the Bank of Canada underwrote a project that's been very successful. I mean, it's provided green energy in Canada for 50 odd years. You know what I mean? Now, there's obviously examples where that goes badly, like in um, Newfoundland with the hydroelectric dam there. That's been a complete disaster. Well, so I'm not saying it's perfect. JT bought. Yeah, well, I mean that's Biden's I fault. We're but about housing, now you're jumping over to infrastructure. No, no, but what I'm though. no, but my point is, housing is infrastructure on some level, and underwriting a project, you know, is not so an I, unreasonable thing to do. I will chime in there. So CMHC actually, to you know, to their credit, I know we like to dunk on a lot of these policymakers, but they think one of the most successful programs they brought in, I believe, it was under Evan Sadal, uh, who again I kind of liked personally, but. Uh, I know he was a very controversial figure at the time. He brought in the the rental financing program. So what they're doing is like, okay, uh, we want people to build more rental housing, right? We don't want, you know, they're trying, you know, because Evan's whole pitch back in the day was, you know, this is like three, four or five years ago. His whole pitch was we're glorifying home ownership. We need to give people better alternatives. So they don't feel like they have to buy and speculate on housing. So let's open up the taps and build more rental housing. And so what they did is that, okay, you're a developer, you want to build rental housing, but the economics of it don't make sense. Okay. Well, how about we give you very favorable credit? Uh, and so what they did is they basically said, okay, you will, in some of these projects, you can finance up to, I think, 90%, 95% of construction costs. 
um, to build the housing. And then once it's done, uh, you can convert it up to a 50-year amortization on a 10-year fixed rate debt at, at below market rates. So that's where CMHC's money has been directed. And if you look at rental units under construction in Canada, it's like, I think it's at all-time highs, or it's back to levels that we saw back in the 1970s. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show. I just want to remind you the Lumi Hour is going to be live in Toronto on Thursday, November 30th, starting at 6 p.m. The doors are going to open. It's going to be a live podcast, drinks, appetizers, laughs, good times. It's going to be so much fun. If you've ever been to any of our live events, I'm sure a lot of you can attest to that. But to go check out our past live events on our YouTube channel there, you can check it out. Come meet hundreds of other Lumi Hour listeners. Come support the show. We'd love to see you there. There's going to be a link in the show notes below, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Spotify or Apple, there's going to be a link in the description, which will take you directly to the Eventbrite page where you can purchase a ticket. Hope to see you there. So Keith, we've also had some, um, some interesting comments from the highly watched Fed. Um, so we had a couple speakers out today and then we also had Jay Powell out today. Uh, but we had, what is it? The, the Richmond Feds, Barkin. He was out today. Um, okay. So he says, <laughs> well, basically he, I mean, there's an interesting quote from him where he says, I believe there's a slowdown coming. I believe we're going to need that slowdown because I think that's what it's going to take to convince price setters. The days of pricing power are over. Yeah. Chaw. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's what you do when you raise rates. You're, you're trying to get people to, to spend less money, you know, while you create, you know, a recession. So he, he is right. I mean, but I thought however, he was talking, though, about, they have to give talking the about the grocery CEOs there in Canada. Yeah. Oh, that's such but a you have, gobbledygook. You know, they're walking this fine line and it's just, it's just weird in that from a financial market perspective, they're trying to convince, let's say, the, I mean, central banks are trying to convince everyone that they still raise rates because you have the expectation that inflation is still strong, then it will cause you to, hey, let, let's stop spending. If all of a sudden the central banks come out and say, hey, we're finished hiking rates, we think uh, inflation is now over, you know, people will start spending uh, differently, their behavior was changed. So you're always getting these different comments rolling back and forth. But the best uh, story from Powell, like Powell uh, had some words today, um, you know, specifically he said, you know, he, he won't hesitate to increase interest rates more if appropriate. So that that's big. And uh, but even more interesting, here's, here's the, from the story. OK, Rich, you ready? Shortly after he began speaking, Powell was hustled out of the conference room as a group of about a dozen. That's a dozen rich environmental protesters yeah. jumped on stage brandishing a banner they chanted and spoke out for about five minutes before leaving these are back to the days of was uh, it gilbo draggy like Mary, just you need you need to google the the draggy one with the uh i think what's the call fema protesters they jumped up on his on his desk but now here they are in uh in america stevie yeah. gilbo was on stage there for I the record, he's like throwing tomato soup against the paintings and, and stuff. Just so for people paying attention at home, uh, U.S. emissions are down like twenty percent from the peak and falling. <laughs> just like, just I want people when people read these headlines and see this BS, like just keep these things in your mind. That'd be like emissions know? per capita. Basically. No, emissions yeah. per capita are also falling, which is crazy. So, like, 
again, don't take my word for it. It's called All Our World in Data. Just Google it. There's an amazing website. You can click through all you want, and you can double check all my all my numbers and my, why I'm so exasperated exasperated by all this nonsense but no let's get back to the powell thing because i think that's more interesting um I also think it's, or his comments no, no his comments keith i think you should just um elaborate on your point on that because you were on this a long long time ago what does it mean really what when he says you know when he's this hawkish when he says he's they won't cut rates when he they're looking for what does it say what did you say steve that them for price setters to be less aggressive with their price income. setters to be punished yeah what is that yeah, I mean, there. So, I mean, as we know, we're all good with numbers. So, inflation data is coming down. A lot of it's just because of the, the base effect that I would argue. If you cheer it up, obviously, yes. You know, some some goods and services are coming down in price and things like that. But the concern for the central banks, if if they announce now that hey, we finished, we achieved our goal, we don't need to raise rates anymore, and and stuff, there hasn't been that financial pain. If they do that. Six months from now, 12 months from now, we're going to be right back to where we started because financial markets are just going to blast. They're going to go to the moon and you start making more money in your investment portfolio. Your house is up in price. You're getting bonuses from your like everyone feels better again. You spend more money. So the inflation story will come back. So they're trying to walk this real like fine line to crush markets, crush the economy but not crush it, you know, have have down that path. Because the moment any of the central bankers announce that, you know, they're sort of finished raising rates, you know, what, what happens? We get risk on. So, so what's really uh, great here today, um, so if you look at currency markets now and, and the S&P, all of these markets now, they're almost back to where they were at the beginning of the last Fed meeting. So that was last week we had the Fed meeting. And it was kind of funny if you if you read the message from the Fed from the last meeting and the one compared to the one of the previous one, and what Powell said in the presser, there wasn't a lot of changes. Like it was all very similar, but yet the markets interpreted everything as well. This is dovish. You know they're finished hiking, and you know that the dollar got clobbered and equities took off to the moon and commodities went flying and all that stuff. And now here we are literally three days, four days later, maybe five, six days, seven. I don't know. <laughs> I thought yeah. you said we were good at math. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean. But now markets are rolling over a- again here. So this this tells me, you know, we're, we're still in a precarious spot economically and, and same with financial markets as well. This ain't over. The thing that, the thing that strikes... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Dean. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the thing that jumps out at me is that it just hasn't been that long at these rates. And, you know, people say it's the delta, which is the change in the Fed funds rate that matters, the change in the financing rate that matters. And to some degree, that's true. But, you know, if your financing costs go up 400 basis points and they stay there for, you know, a hot minute and then they decline again, you know, you could sort of weather that storm. You could survive. Maybe you change your purchasing habits. Uh, maybe companies change their financing. Uh, companies that used to have viable uh, business um, operating businesses and financing, um, you know, methods of financing themselves, they, you know, you can survive that. I think the what's i think what the market's not pricing in and what people aren't talking about is like what if they hold forget raising rates more what if they just hold these rates 
at these levels for a long time. And I, I would suggest that in Canada, I think that you will definitely, definitely feel more like a lot more pain is to come, I think, on the housing, just because how highly levered we are to the to the front end of that curve. But I think in the US, it's it's the corporate, it's the it's a corporate credit that I think will will really, really feel the brunt of that higher rates as we're seeing, but for longer. Because once you sort of have, again, we've talked about this before, but I think it's an important point to, re, point to reiterate. It's like, it's the refinancing. You know, you can survive. If you're, if you're on a fixed rate for five years and interest rates are up five at 5%, you're not being affected by that at all. It's not, and, and companies are the same way, right? If if you're rolling over your your debt, Three or four years. If you if you're a widget factory and you've borrowed money to build a fa- uh, to expand or whatever, and you've locked in that that bond, that corporate bond for three, four, five years or whatever it is, then you don't care that more that, that interest rates are up because you're just going to continue to pay your coupon payment at one percent or two or five or whatever it is. But it's 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 that refinancing cycle that I think really will bite, and I think that that's something we have really yet to see, um, and, and that I think will cause a lot of pain. Hey. So that's, I mean, that's a really good point. I think we've talked about it briefly on the show, right? But like, remember, by the end of this calendar year in 2023, like less, just under 50% of Canadians will have seen a mortgage payment increase, right? So like you talk about this refinance or renewal cycle, you know, wait till the other 50%, yeah. um, you know, endure a, a higher And even big changes as well, right, Steve? Like significant dollar changes, right? Yeah, I think like the weighted average was like if rates stay at six percent or something, like the weighted average increase would be around thirty percent uh, of a payment increase, right? I mean, that's a, it's a substantial sum. I mean, I can tell you, yeah, like we've chatted about it a little briefly on the show before, but like I always look at like the you know even the real estate development community, right? So you you know you're hearing some of these stories with some of these developers that are okay, they're under pressure, there's some challenges. Like, you know, most, a lot of these construction loans, like these land loans, they'll be like, they'll be two-year loans, right? So it's like a lot of them are coming up for for renewal and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, prime prime rate goes from whatever it was, two and a half to now it's at 7.2 or whatever it is in Canada. Um, you know, you can kind of stomach that on these mega large projects, multi-millions of dollars that you're borrowing. You can stomach that for, you know, six, 12, 18 months. But at some point, it's like the, the longer that they sort of stay at these levels, Rich, I agree with you. Like you can kind of see like the writings on the wall. It's just uh, everyone's trying to kind of, everyone's trying to like just survive and get through uh, hoping that rates are going to come down in the, in the very near term, right? But the challenge with with that expectation is if if the Bank of Canada is cutting rates, it means the economy is coming off, right? So, you know, people lose their jobs. The the bonus is less than it was expected. Maybe you have stock options or restricted stock in the company you work for, and that's coming off. Um, you know, there's a reason you, you don't want the Bank of Canada to start cutting rates if they are doing that means there are bad things happening elsewhere. And then you might say, well, you know, if, if they do, that's okay, because it'll still help my mortgage, because he's going to be like prime plus a number. Uh, that plus a number, that's what the banks will tack on. That, that's the credit spread in, in, in the mortgage world. So if the Bank of Canada are cutting rates because the economy is going into recession and all that stuff, the prime plus is going to be plus more than what it was before. So even though the Bank of Canada may cut rates at 25 or 50 basis points, 
you know, you may not get any relief whatsoever in your variable I think you'd rate see mortgage. that in the bond market, though. Yeah, you would. I think you're going to see, again, we can't confuse the government yield curve with what the mortgage yield curve will look like. Because I'm, I'm telling you, if the economy is rolling over, banks will retrench. Like they will be reluctant. They'll still lend because, you know, that's that's what banks do. But they'll lend at a higher price. And that higher price, you know, would be... Uh, It'll just be a baked in risk premium. Yeah. Like it's, again, I, I think we're headed for a, you know, a, a real... I, I hope we, you know, hope it's not. I hope it's, you know three to five or six quarters of like minus 0.1 minus 0.2 and you know economists fight over the decimal point and everyone else just sort of yawns and, and that's it but the concern is that it it, it does go a, a bit deeper and if that happens you know as, as canadians the same with europeans and and the brits and the americans like everyone you have to sort of you know protect yourself to make sure you're ready for that it's interesting to see. It's not nice to hear, guys, but that's that. That's what I, I see where we have to go, based on all of the policy actions that have taken place. Come here, we we had a decade of zero rates, near zero, and negative, and and QE, and then we almost started coming out of that game in 2018, and the Americans had to stop it, you know, because the world was falling apart. And then we had, you know, the policy response from COVID. You know, you've heard me talk about this before, what they did on the monetary side and fiscal side. We, we have to pay for that. It, it can't, there's no free lunch. There's no free lunch here, right? Yeah, free money. We all thought it was free, you know, but it, it's it's not. MMT. MMT, how <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> Maybe that's what they can do, Steve. Maybe whatever everyone's mortgage cost goes up by, the government can just print more money and subsidize. Do you want to comment on that? No. Go please. ahead, Rich. Will it work? No, if Keith, you raise I want you to comment on you... that. <laughs> Mr. Big Shot over there. Yeah. You want me to comment? Who? Who's the big shot? Wasn't there a proposal in the uh in committee? No. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> Sad. But now. these are the conversations that will come back up again, you know, because, you know, governments are, they they react to crises. I mean, I wouldn't say it's even like, I mean, Jag Me at the NDP there was talking about a mortgage subsidy like three months ago and he got destroyed on Twitter for it. So I think the thought is Twitter already It doesn't there. matter. That's just a bunch of young kids. No, but what does matter, what does matter is subsidizing the wealthiest people in your society. And I, I am against that, um, which I think is a pretty reasonable position to take, because that's exactly what doing that kind of policy is. Um, asset holders don't need um, help. Um, they are protected from the rising prices of goods and services because they except own the generally guys, <laughs> except for the pre-sale guys and subsidizing, um, mortgage rates, um, just allows, um, a further bifurcation of our society in between people who ha own assets and people who don't. And so those kinds of policies, again, sound great on the face of it, but any, you know, simple analysis will tell you that that's just. It's just literally handing money from savers to borrowers, um, from the working class to 
the people who own lots yeah. of assets. I mean, so the challenge we have, let's just walk through. Let's say we do get this economic downturn that I'm I'm expecting, right? And it, it's not an economic crash, but it's not this soft landing. It, it's somewhere in between, and it won't be pleasant. And the way you know that that the ship writes itself is that you need foreign capital to come into the country, right? That's what you need to happen because the Canadian dollar will, will get muttered when, when this happens. So you need foreign money to come back in to, hey, yeah, this is attractive. Now, for that to happen, you have to be more attractive than the Europeans, the Japanese, the Americans, and, and everyone else, right? Because it's not quite a you know a net zero or zero-sum game, but you need to be better looking. And the challenge with Canada is that our debt has increased so much over the last couple of uh, cycles here. And I know other places have as well, but we, we need to get this, you know, this deficit spending under control uh, to make things more attractive relative to the neighbor. And I don't think we're at that point right Keith, now. Keith, it's, it's not just the deficit spending. That's what makes this particularly dangerous for Canada. It's the household debt to GDP ratio. Um, remember in the US, it peaked in 2008, and they had a massive, massive um, readjustment. It went down from, from 100 to 70 or whatever percent. In Canada, it went the other way. We're at 110, 115, depending on which day you calculate it and what source you get. Um, debt, to, um, debt to disposable income in Canada is 180 odd percent. Maybe it's one hundred seventy percent. I can't remember exactly the number. And then co non financial corporate debt is also extremely high. And so you add the hundred plus a hundred plus a hundred. Keith, what does that equal? Three hundred. And so debt to GDP of three hundred. Steve puts is still counting his fingers on, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but three hundred percent. But I'm serious. Debt to GDP of three hundred percent puts us in some rarefied air. And I believe that there's only a, two or three other countries: Japan, which is just its own Australia thing australia switzerland which has switzerland but switzerland has a, a current account surplus of 10 percent and hasn't printed anywhere near as much money as we have as and owns the s p 500 and is extremely well a well-run country despite their debt issues and so we have a country with very low productivity growth um the only industry in country this country that has a huge current account surplus is one that's being constantly berated and and every attempt is being made to destroy it. And we have our debt to GDP levels at unheard of numbers. So I don't know how you, you the only two ways that you square that are an internal devaluation or an external devaluation. An external devaluation is a complete, not a complete collapse, excuse me, I should be careful with my language, a com huge decline in our currency and an internal devaluation. Is there a ticker symbol for the currency? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and an internal devaluation is we all are materially worse off for a long time until you recalibrate um, your consumption. And that's the game. Like, so anybody who yeah. tells you, I, I don't know, Keith, I think we agree on that. Like, it's just you have to work your way through that. And it's not pleasant. But when you when I say it, it's kind of folksy, like when you say <laughs> it, it, it sounds you know what you're talking about. <laughs> No, I, I I think we come at it from different angles, but I think we sort of reach the same conclusion, which is maybe terrifying for some like, of us. Me, me. Well, yeah, I wanted to pick your brain on that. I just wanted to kind of curious you guys' thoughts on like the regional differences. Like obviously we always talk about, oh, Canada, 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 and like, everyone's going to feel it to some extent. But like 
I found it interesting, like, you know, just on the Canadian tire uh, notes as well, like the the CEO who said, it, like, we're seeing it predominantly in the pullback in BC and Ontario, of course, yeah. which are like your two highly levered housing markets where everyone's kind of all in on, on that asset class. And that's had a huge pullback, um, you know, looking at like housing, we always talk about Canadian housing. It's like looking at what's happening, you know, inventory. So real estate inventories in Toronto are up 50% year over year. You go to a place like Vancouver, they're only up 12. Calgary down 17%. So we're seeing these regional differences. I'm kind of curious, like how I'm assuming like Ontario's has to be the eye of the storm. Um, Really, you know, the largest economical powerhouse or whatever you want to call it in Canada. It is what the, it's where the vast center of gravity. Yeah. Center center of gravity. gravity. Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, you hear all these stories, these these pre-sales. Toronto area authority. What's the G stand for? Greater, I think. Greater Toronto area, the GTA. Yeah. So that's what you're, you're right. Like it is the great place to, and, but this is what we talked about before in that, you know, Alberta will have their cycle. Like every. How do you see Alberta playing out, Keith? Cause I was actually going to ask you that. Like everyone's like, oh, oil this, like oil. I mean, it's coming off, you know, pretty significantly right now in the last, you know, what, week or two? Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, obviously, if you go, like everyone's talking about the supply side of it, but, you know, if you get this recession, which I agree with you is, is seemingly inbound, I would argue already here in Canada, um, you would imagine oil demand is going to get smacked pretty good. Yeah, but I also think, though, if you're overly on top of it or the geopolitical risk, I, I can see oil um, having a floor here at, at some point soon. And I, I think we could be in a recession where you know, energy prices are high but not for the demand side, more because of, you know, supply and the premium attached to it. But overall, I mean, you know, with, with the, the great Toronto area. Yeah. The GTA, it has never experienced a crisis in our lifetime. It hasn't happened. It's true. So, yeah. And it, it you is. Don't think, extreme... I feel like the 19, the 1980s there was uh yeah, early '90s, it, it did. It was commercial real estate uh, challenges, and some some of the insurance companies went under because their balance sheets were stuffed with real estate, and that 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 did happen absolutely. But it was kind of short and shallow, and it didn't spread across the country and everything. But but again, today, like it's 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 housing, it's real estate, it's a levered asset. So if you lose 1%, you're lever 10x, that's a 10% loss. You know, you've got it that way. The, you go to Bay Street, I mean, it's just banks and investment companies, insurance companies, they're, they're all levered entities. And again, they haven't felt a hard downturn before. So if we do get it, you know, I, I think Toronto becomes the epicenter for it. And I think then everyone will want to hang out, you know, in, in Canmore or somewhere like that. So uh so S Alberta, by the way, Steve. Steve doesn't like to cross the uh, the provincial border. I've been to Camor. It's beautiful. Yes, yeah, nice but there. Right. Um, Steve, I have a micro answer to your macro question, which is um, so I think that it's it is a different cycle for the oil companies. And I would say and and why I think um, you might have a situation where you do have highs higher are than normal oil prices, even if you have a downturn, is because the world has not been investing in energy at anywhere the same rate during this past cycle. You can thank all the 
the protesters for that. And the reason that's super important is because companies in the West of Canada and Alberta, and historically, when oil prices rise, they chase that marginal dollar because they're, <laughs> I wouldn't say the irresponsible C- CEOs, let's just call them cowboys. And so in order to make some more money, they, ch- they, they, you know, they plunk another well on the ground, they spend the CapEx on, op- um, on um, exploration, and um, they're chasing that marginal dollar, and they they kill their free cash flow, right? So you're spending more money chasing that marginal dollar of oil. And in that scenario, you're, you basically create this, you create the situation which will kill you. So, and then, so the supply rises with the prices of oil. Then when demand falls, prices fall, but you've already sort of committed to all these huge projects to generate the supply and it exacerbates the downturn in the commodity. That's like basically the nature of lots of commodity producers and industries in this cycle, because oil companies have been not have chosen to either because of uh, regulation, because of ESG garbage, because of other, you know, I've not chosen to explore. So uh, CapEx and mining exploration in Canada is at a 25-year low in real terms and relative to GDP. Sorry, in relative to GDP, excuse me. Um, and and you've seen a situation where these companies are making huge, huge free cash flow yields and they've paid down their debt. Um, demand for oil is still high because oil is super useful. And yet, and so these companies are extremely profitable, and they they haven't extended themselves in the same way that they have in other cycles. And so, again, you know, it's a pyrrhic victory. These environmentalists, what they what they've given them is what they have is a pyrrhic victory by not exploring exploring exploiting these resources. You basically have crystallized these businesses into massively cash flow generative assets that can weather a down downturn. So, in 2016, when you had the decline in oil. All these companies, oil companies in Alberta, they had to, you know, fire loads of people and retrench their businesses, get rid of projects, blah, blah, blah. This time around, they didn't do that. They didn't increase their capex. They didn't hire loads of people. They didn't increase their product, their supply. And so if you do get a downturn, who knows what will happen? They're much, much, much better position. Now, their shares might still fall, but they won't go out of business the way they did in the past cycles. So that would be, that's my couple, bad anyway. couple observations. One is uh, you've now said exasperate three times. Oh, sorry. Podcast. Do I have to pay a fine? No, I haven't heard you use that word before. Like 108 episodes. <laughs> so all of a sudden, 109, you're going nuts. That's pretty just cool. You got the. You got the Patagucci jacket on, eh? Mid show. Don't you realize uh, heating oil is free now, bud? I, I know. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're recording this on Thursday. It was a little bit later than normal. So it's happening. The, the other uh, point that I, I think it would, be, I think it's ironic, it, you know, if this happens the way that you just shared with us, Rich, all of a sudden Canada goes from a country where, you know, Alberta is bad. You know, we don't need Alberta to where, if it plays out the way that I think it might play out, you know, where we're, you know, the great Toronto area experiences stress, all of a sudden here it is now, Alberta is the one holding up the country. So, um, and, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we, I, I've people, I think they know how we, how I feel about it. You know, Alberta has been getting a bad rap now for a while. Did you uh, say rap? Just don't want to say rap. I have a rap. I actually did a rap there a while. I wrote oh, a rap. Oh, God, please, no. I won't do a rap today. But, um, yeah, Alberta has taken it uh, on, on the, maybe not on the chin, but you know, they've been attacked from a lot of different sides because of the climate change 
policies coming out of Ottawa. So, you know, th this could flip 180 at, at some point, and all of a sudden, everyone is running to Ottawa, you know, their population growth surges. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe it doesn't. I was Is waiting for break? the wrap. We're taking a break. I think we should no, take a I think we're done. I think we're done. I'm going to call it. Um, yeah, that's a good place to end it. I think I said Toronto event, November 30th. Last blog. I'm just going to keep hammering that that show. Um, but yeah, we'll see you at East Danforth, November 30th. And uh, as always, appreciate the support. We'll see you next week.